Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. I want to thank everybody for coming into my home for Gospel Saving Church and this beautiful Sunday morning in January. And I want to thank everybody coming online from SoundCloud and all over the world. Praise God. Thank you for joining us. And I want to welcome you to Gospel Saving Church. And I'm Ed, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli. Uh, anyway, if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, I would surely love it because that way we, we can ask God to prepare our hearts and get us ready to hear the message today. Because certainly, certainly we need our hearts prepared and we need the Spirit to speak to us. For the Bible says, God's Word says that only the Spirit of God can teach us and enlighten to us our, you know, His Word and, and help us understand what the things He has to say. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, I'd appreciate it. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this new day. Lord, for it's a new day. Lord, it's a new day that the sun is shining, Lord, and, and we're alive. And Lord, we're not, with, you're, we're not yet with you, Lord, but we're, we're with you here on earth. As you said, you would never leave those who came to you or never forsake those who came to you. And so we know we're with you here on earth. And we, we thank you for your presence in our lives, Lord. We thank you for your presence here at this church. As your word says, for wherever two or more are gathered in your name, you shall be here. So, Lord, we want to welcome you into our presence here this morning. And uh, we just want to praise you and thank you and, and ask you, of course, Lord God, for your help today. Lord, we need your help. We need your help to understand these words that you wrote for us today, Lord. Lord, we're going to be studying some words from Paul, but we know you gave those words to Paul, Lord. We know they're inspired by you. So we need your spirit to enlighten us, to show us the truth, Lord, to teach us your word. Please, Lord, teach us. Help us to understand what you have to say. And Lord, not only help us to understand what you have to say, Lord, but help us, please, dear God, to apply the things that we hear today, not just to hear them and let them go in one ear and out the other, Lord. Help us to, whatever we hear today from you, help us to apply it to our lives. Lord, we just thank you and we love you and we praise you and we know you have the great power that it takes to do all these things. For we can't do anything on our own, Lord. We know that the word says we can all do all things through Christ who strengthens us and we can't do anything without you. As for us, all things are impossible, but for you, all things are possible. Lord, we thank you and we love you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So today we're going to be in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we're going to be in uh, verses 1 and 2. That's all we're going to get through today. And we're not actually even going to finish 2 because there's a whole lot more to say. And But there was just a whole bunch to say in just these two verses. More than I had ever anticipated. I was wondering this week if I was actually going to you know, plow right through the whole chapter 6 of 1 Timothy and finish the book. But as it turns out, we're only going to get through two verses. 1 Timothy 6, 1 through 2. And uh, But we'll get to that. We'll read them. After I give my thoughts from last week's message, to whom much is given, much is required. So last week I referenced the saying, to whom much is given, much is required. And I referenced it in regards to church leaders, you know, church pastors, church overseers. And I said that, you know, God has given them much, so now he, you know, requires, he expects much of them, their lives and their service unto him back. For again, to whom much is given, much is required. And they've been given, pastors, elders, leaders, overseers of the church, have been given a lot of responsibility by God. So he requires much from them in return. This saying, in case you were wondering, was given by Jesus in Luke chapter 12. Jesus used those words, but 
I just have a couple points today that I believe that God wants me to make on this very important saying of Jesus. Uh, God wants all Christians to know something very important about this one saying of Jesus. Although I aimed it at church leaders and overseers and pastors and such, those that God has given much responsibility to in the church, God in Christ wants us to know that we should take it in a much broader way. And I believe that Jesus in Luke 12 meant this to whom much is given, much is required in a much broader sense. And how, what broad do I mean? How broad do I mean? So here's, here's the broad spectrum I'm talking about. You see, God expects much from all Christians because he gives and he continues to give all of us much. So think about it like this. Every person who becomes a Christian and starts learning the Bible and the things of God and the thing God wants and the things, excuse me, that God wants them to do is responsible to God to be obedient to those things he's said to do. Because after all, they're his words he gave them. To whom much is given, much is required. What what kind of things am I talking about? Well, Last week, for instance, remember, we learned uh, one major point of the sermon was how much God wants his pastors and overseers to stay away from sin. Stay away from sin in a, in a big-time way. Remember, we talked about that last week. But we also talked about how that staying away from sin in a big-time way wasn't just for pastors and elders. Because remember, Paul said, rebuke sinning pastors or overseers in front of the whole church so that all could see it in fear. And we know that he'd only want people to fear because he wouldn't want people to follow in their footsteps. So he didn't want you or me or any, you know, any person that was a congregational member in a church to follow after a leader's sinful pattern because we're all supposed to stay away from sin in a big-time way. Applying Jesus' saying, to whom much is given, much is required, to the aspect of staying away from sin, God says this, My child, my Christian, now that you learn this about sin, even though you're not an elder or a leader or an overseer or a pastor, I expect you to obey it. So now, Christian, now that you know this fact about sin, God requires you to start keeping away from sin in a big way. For to whom much is given, much is required. Same thing goes for every Christian, everyone that's been taught by God, everyone that's become a Christian and starts learning from God and learning in his word, and anything and everything that they have learned from God in his word. Uh, What else has God told us that he wants us to be doing on a daily basis? Well, for instance, God says things in his word like pray for the lost to come to know him. That's a big one in God's eyes. Another one is um, sharing Jesus Christ with others. Okay, We know that's pretty big. That's one of our main duties as Christians. Sh- letting our light so shine, right? Showing Jesus Christ, sharing Jesus Christ with others. Going to church. Let Forsake not the fellowshipping of one another together is the manner of some, right? We know that's a big one to God. Uh, we know God takes me and you and all Christians taking care of our families a big responsibility. And the list can go on and on and on and on. I just wanted to give you just a few So today, think about it. 
Please, if you don't know more things, go read your Bibles intently and ask God in his word, Hey, Lord, show me in your word. What things do you have for me to do? Because, man, your word does say, to whom much is given, much is required. And I know, Lord, you've given me much in your word. So then we ought to start being diligent to do them. I want you to know this. Anyone that's been saved, anyone that's a Christian out there, God wants you to know this today. Christian, God didn't just save you just so you could go to heaven. Right? I mean, God didn't say, all right, my child, you got saved. All right, wait till you get to heaven. That's good. No, he's given us much work and much responsibility to do while we're alive. And to whom much is given, what? He requires much from us in return. As far as your lifestyle goes, as far as your, you know, your, you know, your service to him goes, just as far as everything goes, you're, just get into his word and find out and say, God, show me those things because he does require much from us once we do come to be saved. Praise be the Lord. All right. Well, praise God. Let's switch gears now and get to our new sermon for today. Our title of our message is Don't Dishonor nor despise, but represent. So don't dishonor, nor despise, but represent. First Timothy 6, 1 through 2. Let's read them and let's see what God has to say to us and let's uh, see how we can apply this to our lives today. Paul says to Timothy, verse 1, chapter 6, he says, let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them, because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. And we're going to stop there. We're going to save the last sentence of that verse for next week because there's a whole big long thing we're going to talk about next week. But that's all we're going to get through today. 1 Timothy 6, 1 through 2, minus the last sentence of verse 2. So today, just so you know, we're going to start chapter 6, which is the last chapter of 1 Timothy. Okay, I'm guessing we're going to be out of Timothy, out of 1 Timothy in maybe a week or two more. Uh, I can't see it being much longer, so I would really appreciate your prayers, guys. Be praying for me that God would direct me on which book to go to next. You know, I want to start praying to God, show me the next book that you want me to study because, you know, I kind of start my sermons and I just, God, where do you want me to go? And he just gives me the message. So that's how I kind of do it with the next book. I don't have any... I don't have any two-year plans. Oh, I'm gonna be gonna be studying, you know, so and so two years from now. No, I, I have no idea. So I would appreciate your prayers. Uh, anyway, let's get on to the study of chapter six, shall we? So last week we read of Paul telling Timothy how pastors and overseers should be being treated. Remember, he was like, Hey, make sure you treat pastors and overseers in this way. Those that are what? Those that were doing good, those that were working hard, those that were, you know, diligent to do the work. Not the lazy, you know, good for nothing, you know, ones that didn't care about you. But treat those, you know, with honor and great respect. And these were his last words on the instruction of the treatment of church members in this whole letter. In case you didn't know, Paul spent the whole of chapter 5 telling us about how church members should be treated. 
Well, today we open up to chapter 6, and in chapter 6 we have Paul making a subject change. He moves from the treatment of church leaders to, you know, or how, or excuse me, he, he moves from how the people in the church should be treated, and he moves now outward. He moves now on outward, as we saw in the verses 1 and 2, how Christians should be treating those outside of themselves or, or themselves outside of church. Um, we have him saying to Timothy this in verse 1 again. He says, let as many as uh, bond servants as are under the yoke, that's important, I'll bring that up later, count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. Now, Context showed us, in case you weren't aware, because God had to show me this, actually. Context shows us that verse 1 and verse 2, there's a contrast. Verse 1, he doesn't really say it, but verse 2, beginning of verse 2, he says, and those who have believing masters, which leads us to believe that verse 1 is written for from a Christian bondservant or slave to, towards a unbelieving boss or master. Okay, so verse 1 First chapter 1, or verse 1, is, is aimed at, Paul aims that as how Christians should be treating their, you know, say, bosses or masters of the unbelieving type. And verse 2 is aimed at how Christians should be treating their masters or bosses of the Christian type. So here, Paul uh, is talking about the Christian bondservant. And this bondservant that Paul is talking about is either A, a Christian who has put himself willfully to the service of an unsaved person. And today that would be like you or me that has a job, right? We willfully went to our jobs. We willfully applied because what? We needed to make money so that we could support our household and support our family. Today that would be called a willful bondservant or somebody that willfully went to the job and asked for to, put, to be put to servitude, asked to be put to service so that they could make money. So he's either talking about A, that type of person, somebody like us today that has a job, or B, a Christian that has been bought or purchased as a slave. Now you say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Pastor. Slavery now. I don't know. Well, hold on. Before you jump in, I just want you to know the Strong's word for this word here is doulos, okay? And it's literally um, the word for bondservant in the Strong's can either mean slave bondman or man of servile or servile servile condition okay so that means both are the same a servant somebody that willfully goes and does it or somebody that is a slave somebody that's bought and purchased as property okay coincidentally i believe that paul is talking about a christian slave here a bought or a bought by an unsaved person because he uses the words there in verse 1 under the yoke. For as many as you bond services are under the yoke. In verse 1 there. I believe that Paul is referencing to a bought slave. Not someone that goes and puts themselves like a job that we would have today. But this can be debated. But we don't have to debate or argue about it. Because Paul's words here can apply. And we're going to see that as we move through. His words can easily be applied to either one. Either a servant that puts himself willfully into the servitude of another or a slave like the you know uh, like somebody that's bought or paid for by you know bought you know by another person side note cuz it's pretty big here uh, god put this on my heart when i was doing this study i I've, I've read a book in the past and i've heard this this crap pottery on uh, but many people say that here in the new testament verses like this means that the bible supports slavery 
does the Bible really support slavery? Does the New Testament, I should say, really support people making other people slaves? Like, you know, the type where someone buys someone else's property. Well, I want to tell you that it does not absolutely know. It does not say that. Nowhere in the New Testament does God or Jesus or Paul or any of the disciples that write any of the epistles say that slavery is a great thing. Christians or people go out and make slaves of all the world. He doesn't say that. Jesus says, go out and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey the things which I have taught you. But don't go making people slaves. That's ridiculous. So why did Paul even bring up this topic about slavery then? Why? Well, Paul was only addressing the way in which those in Christ, so those that were saved, that were purchased slaves, should behave toward their masters. Because, as much like today, slavery was big back then. I mean, this is the world that Paul lived in. They lived in, you know, Israel and Asia Minor and all that, and slavery was common. It was accepted. That's just what people did. People bought and sold slaves all the time. In their world, that was nothing. Like, today we'd go to McDonald's and buy a cheeseburger. They bought slaves at an auction. Like, you know, we even buy cars at an auction. They did the same thing. It was very common, very accepted. And Paul, you see, was a great shepherd of God's people. And Paul was teaching Timothy to be a great shepherd of God's people. And what do great shepherds do? Well, they help lead everybody in their flocks. Now, everybody in their flocks could be slave or free. It, it didn't matter. Everybody, so, In fact, everybody in this audience would have been a bondservant somehow. They would have been either willfully had a job because everybody has to work. Even those that are independently wealthy or they're wealthy, they had to be, well, they got wealthy by somehow they had their own business. Well, when you own your own business, you're like a bondservant to your own business, right? You kind of, I've said it many times, you know, you're slave to your own business because you work a lot of hours and you're, you're slave really to your customers as you want. You need them to come to you and so on and so forth. So really everybody in this congregation was either free or a slave, you know, or, or, or some type of bond servant, or we would consider that free. So anyway, just know the Bible or the New Testament, I should say, does not, God does not encourage people to go out and make slaves. If you've ever heard anybody say that, that's crack pottery and they're lying to you and probably they're lying to you for their own personal gain. So anyway, getting back to our scripture, I just wanted to give that as a side note. Paul says to all Christians of his time here that were either willful bond servants or bought slaves by an unsaved person or an unbeliever that they should treat their masters, end of verse one there, he says, treat them or count their own masters worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. So this phrase, count them worthy, means treat them with great respect and be obedient to them. Because if you're respecting somebody, right, and you, they, you don't do what they say, being if you're not obedient to them, that's disrespect, right? So this show them all honor means be obedient to them, be respectful toward them. And I said it already, why should a Christian slave or a willful bondservant obey uh, or treat an unbelieving master respectfully? Paul says, so that they won't speak of God's name 
or God's teachings in a blasphemous way or in a terrible way, you could say, because that's what that speaking evil of or speaking evil of in a terrible way is what really blasphemy means. And it's, of course, talking about God. I can't blaspheme you and you, you can't blaspheme me because blasphemy is a term we use for God. So Paul says, don't do this or treat them respectfully, honor them so that they don't talk about God and his name and his teachings in a terrible, terrible way. What does this mean for the majority of us that are not slaves but willful bond servants that work jobs to pay bills today? Well, Paul just told us that at our jobs, we should honor our bosses or do whatever they tell us to do. We say be obedient and treat them with great respect so that God's teachings and name won't be spoken evil of. Now, if you think about this, because you know I'm big on this, the opposite of everything in the Bible is always true, right? We can't say A after A comes B. Uh, you know, the opposite of, of true is false, right? So here we have a true statement. Treat them honorably, respect them, obey them, so that God's name won't be blasphemed. What is the opposite of that? If you're not obedient and you don't give your boss great respect and you're a Christian, God's name and teachings will be blasphemed. That person, that unbeliever, will look at God and will look at you and they'll think evil of and speak evil of or whatever think evil of or say evil of God or you. So if you're a real follower of Christ for us today, that means that really all around you should know it because if you're a real Christian, you're going to let your light shine. That's what Jesus said you should do. God wants you to know that you better be the best darn worker you can be. And be obedient to your bosses and highly respect them. Even if, in fact, verse 1 is to unbelievers, unbelieving masters, even if they're unbelieving. And you know, unbelievers who aren't Christians, they tend not to be very nice. They tend to kind of be mean. And they kind, you know, tend to be kind of cruel. So that means even if you're a Christian, or if you're a Christian, even if your boss is not a believer is unbeliever and he's treating you cruel or evil or mean or disrespectful so that you need to turn around and love him and respect him and obey him so that the name of your God won't be spoken evil of. Remember, Jesus said this. I've already said it many times in our sermon today, but Matthew 5, 16, he says, let your light so shine before men that those that that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Think of this as far as letting your light shine. How bright would your light for Christ to glorify God really be if you're disrespectful to your owner or boss, speaking of slave or just bondman, uh, how, how great would your light be if you're disrespectful to your owner or boss and lazy in your work duties. What kind of taste is that going to put in somebody's mouth? If you're lazy or disrespectful, you don't do what they say, but you profess to be a Christian. Well, it's, if you think about it, using your own human logic, what does that mean? They're not going to look at you or your God in a good way at all. It's going to do the opposite effect. They're going to think you're a fraud, and they're going to think even if there is a God, well, you don't know him because you're... You know, would if there was a God, would would He have His His person? It's His. You know, act like this. This guy, this guy acts no better than me, right? That's that's just using our own Christian logic. Christians, 
in case you didn't know this, you represent God and Christ in your lives. And your boss and the people that you work around and your friends or your family members, no matter whether they believe or not, they see your light or they see your dark. They see your life, whether it's good or whether it's bad, whether you represent Christ or whether you don't represent Christ. If you're a Christian, the Bible says you're supposed to represent Christ. You're supposed to be a light for him. Jesus, let your light so shine so that all the world could see. So as a Christian, your bosses, your co-workers, they know it. They see it, whether you represent them or not. And they're either A, going to blaspheme your God if you don't represent them, or they're going to be, they're going to see your good light, you're going to see your good work, and they're going to see Jesus living in you, and they're going to know that there's a God in heaven. And whether or not that they show you any interest in God or not, they are watching your lifestyle and your work ethic to see if you have lazy work habits, and, and if you're disrespectful to them, and you're either doing what they're telling you to do, or they're not, or you're not doing what they're telling you to do. And if you're a terrible worker and don't honor them, and you don't do the things and tasks that they ask you, they not only look at you in a terrible way, but they also look at the God that you represent in his teachings in a terrible way too. This is what Paul says here today, and I believe it too, because in my life of 15, 16 years that I've been a Christian, this is something that God has constantly been working with me on. He's, you know, he, he says, hey, do your job. Do your job. Shine bright for me today. Shine bright for me today. So Christians, willful bondservants, slaves, whichever you may be, whether you're a bought slave or whether you have a job to take care of your family, don't dishonor your bosses or owners and let God be glorified in the way that he deserves to be glorified. He deserves it because he's God and he's great and we're not. But there's another reason why Christian willful bond servants or bought and slaves should honor their owners or bosses and treat them with great respect, aside from, you know, doing it so that God's name won't be blasphemed but be glorified. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23, says this, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant of all. Same word, servant of all, or to all, that I might win the more. Wow. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. And he ends with, I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. So he says there, I want to be a great worker. I want to become this kind of great worker for God in Christ and let my light so shine so that I could win my bosses or my masters, my owners, to Christ. You see, one of the main jobs God gives a saved person or a Christian is to share Jesus Christ with the lost. And what a better way to share Jesus Christ with your unsaved boss or your slave owner, but to treat them the way that Paul teaches here. Loving them and obeying them in the name of Christ is an awesome witness for God. And if they are mean, and even it even goes even farther. This is, this is amazing. God showed me this because this is so true. Uh, Solomon talked about it in Proverbs, but think about this. 
If they are mean and they're harsh and they speak evil and they talk to you in an evil way and they treat you in a bad way and no matter how they treat you, you love them and you respect them because of Christ anyway, in spite of that. How much greater and stronger of a witness do you become to them? Because they, they're thinking, I'm treating this guy or girl, my slave or my, my servant, in a terrible way. They claim to know this God. I'm going to show them there's no God. And I'm going to treat them bad and evil. I'm going to get them. And yet, when you love them, and when you treat them with respect, and when you're kind to them, what does that do? There's no greater witness for Christ than that. Well, there's no greater witness. They're going to be thinking in their minds, well, there's no way, nobody that I've ever treated this way has ever treated me back with kindness like this. So, wow, you know, maybe there is a God in heaven. Maybe there is a God in heaven. Oh, my goodness gracious. This guy is supernaturally in a loving, he's, he's loving. So, anyway... That was Paul's direction to Christian bought slaves or Christians that have willfully put themselves under servitude like us today with jobs towards non-Christian masters or bosses. In verse 2, Paul writes to Christians as either slaves or willful servants on how they should treat Christian slave owners or Christian bosses. Read verse 2 up to brethren with me if you'd like. You can just listen along. And those who have believing masters, Paul says, those who have believing masters, hear that? This is, that's important. I'm going to talk about that in a, for a, in a minute here. Let them not despise them because they are brethren. So what is Paul talking about here? Paul's talking about a Christian servant or slave that has a Christian boss or slave owner. Wow. So Paul says here to slaves or willful servants, don't despise a master or a boss who is a saved person. Now, let's say that he is talking about slave here, which I do think he is talking about slaves, not just people that go to work for their money. Okay, I'll tell you, it's a difficult scripture to swallow. If you take the interpretation that Paul is talking about a Christian who is a slave owner, and this person is still <clears throat> considered a Christian. I mean, think about it. Can you imagine today somebody saying to you, yeah, I'm a Christian, and oh, I, I got 25 slaves. I mean, what, what taste does that even put in your mouth? Oh my gosh, I, I'd be like, I, I'd be like, uh, 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 what does the Bible even say? I, I, I'd immediately go to, are you really even saved? How can you be a Christian and own a slave? Are you kidding me? That's, this is, that, this is, that's not possible. But in the Bible, we know that the book of Philemon, we know by the book of Philemon, I should say, that Christians indeed owned Christian slaves. Paul writes to Philemon, a Christian slave owner, on behalf of a Christian slave named Onesimus, who had run away to Paul while he was in prison. Paul doesn't approve of this situation and asks Philemon to let Onesimus come back to him as a brother in Christ instead of a slave, but leaves it up to Philemon as to what he would do, or Philemon, however you want to say it. Now, I will tell you this. 
In my opinion, as far as a Christian owning a slave goes, I would find it hard to believe that a real Christian would buy another person, Christian or not, as a slave owner. But there are a number of things to think about when we look at my opinion on this fact. First of all, my view only sees this from my culture in my modern day where slavery as a whole has been deemed evil and been deemed unacceptable. But in Paul's time, they had a different culture where slavery, as I said earlier, was more widely accepted. It was kind of an okay thing. This is kind of just what everybody did. Okay. Was it okay? Was it okay? I don't believe so. It didn't sound like Paul thought it was so, if you read the book of Philemon, but their society saw it different, so it was seen by the majority and by the mass amounts of people as something that was acceptable. Plus, there are some things to think about before we condemn a Christian back then for owning a slave. Think about there were different ways that a person could become a slave. And, you know, I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but the word sanctification, just remember that word. There were some reasons why, you know, a person could become a slave. Number one, they could become a slave if they owed somebody money and they didn't have the ability to pay it back. Even the Bible, the Old Testament says if they can't, then, you know, let them basically give themselves to that person of that land that they owed the money to. And then they would basically like work off, you know, their, their debt. And that wouldn't be like a slave that was bought. That'd be more like a willful bondservant. Hey, he, I had to pay this guy back. I had to go. So that was just one reason why somebody could become a type of a slave in those days. Um, Or how else would a Christian be the owner of a slave? Maybe where he didn't even intend to be. Not only was it acceptable, so they thought it might have been okay, but what other reason might might a Christian have slaves, but he didn't really intend on having other Christians or any slaves at all? Well, if you think about it, it, let's say let's take an unsaved person. And they get saved. But while they're in their unsaved status, they, they, you know, they live as they, like I lived before I knew Christ. I lived of the world. I lived by the rules of the world. And so an unsaved person gets lots of slaves. He has lots and lots of people that he has slaves, Christians, non-Christians, all alike. But then, maybe through the witness of the life and the work ethic of his Christian slaves, maybe he got one to Christ. Well, he'd be a Christian slave owner then at that point. But then he'd also have Christian slaves, right? So there would be a case where a Christian could be a slave owner, uh, you know, when they initially became a Christian, and they wouldn't see anything wrong with it since it was culturally acceptable, and it was the only way they knew. As I said before, sanctification could play a big part in a Christian owning a slave in that time. I definitely think that a longer a person was a Christian, the Lord would have shown them that it was wrong, even back then, and they would have stopped owning slaves, as Paul wrote to Onesimus. Hey, Onesimus, or I'm sorry, Philemon, as Paul wrote to Philemon, hey, Philemon, you know, uh, would you receive him back, but, you know, as a brother, and, and you know, and, and not as a slave anymore. You know, uh, Paul didn't see it right. But, of course, he left the decision up to Philemon and, and, you know, not to himself. He knew that it wasn't right in God's eyes, but he knew what also what culture thought. And, you know, he also knew that this is how Philemon thought, too. So he kind of left it up to Philemon. But, nevertheless, he did speak out against it and say that it was wrong, okay? But as difficult as a Christian owning a slave is to swallow, it definitely happened. And because it did... Paul addresses it here, and he addresses it again because he wanted to 
you know, advise Christian slaves as to how they were to behave toward those believing slave owners because, as I said earlier, Paul was a great shepherd and he loved his flock. And he was teaching Timothy how to love his flock too. And what better way to teach, you know, you got to teach everybody in your flock if you're a great shepherd, and Paul was, and he was teaching Timothy to be. So he has to, he was wanting to train up his, you know, his flock to, you know, no matter what status in life that they were. So he says first off in verse 2 that a Christian slave or willful servant should not despise their believing owners. Obvious reason for a Christian slave, right? I mean, why, can you see yourself, you're a slave, you know that you have a Christian slave owner, what would be the most obvious reason why you might despise them? Well, I'll give it to you. The first main and probably the only reason a Christian slave could, des- to, could despise a Christian slave owner is if they didn't let him free. You know, I mean, think about it. They're a Christian slave, the guy's a Christian owner, the Christian slave's reading his Bible, finding that we're supposed to be free in Christ, God is love, you know, those that follow God must be of love, and how could a, you know, how could a person that says they're a Christian be of love, you know, Bible says it, and then still own slaves and keep me in bondage. I mean, it's just kind of like the two are kind of like opposing material. You know, they just don't go together. How could a real Christian read his Bible, study his Bible, be, you know, born again, learn from God and Holy Spirit, and yet still keep someone in, in bought servitude? I mean, we're supposed to be free in Christ and loving and so on and so forth. So that would be the main and only reason I could see as to why a Christian slave could despise a Christian slave owner. Hey, why isn't this guy letting me free? So I can easily see it. Easily see why they could despise another Christian or their owner. Uh, was it okay for a Christian slave to despise his or her Christian owner in God's and in God's Paul's eyes? Well, Paul says here, don't do it. Don't despise your Christian owner. Don't despise the Christian slave owner. Um, here Paul says, no, we're going to talk about it in a little bit, but you know why. But Paul, knowing it was, po- it was a possible problem, again, he writes on this, because he knew that it was a possible problem. In fact, he had probably encountered it many churches that he had gone to. Maybe new Christians were all over the place and they were coming and they had slaves. And even though he was trying to teach him, you know, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. And until God kind of teaches you and kind of the Holy Spirit reveals something's wrong to somebody, they may not think it's wrong, you know. So Paul saw this was a problem and he advises Christian slaves to not despise their Christian owners. We'll get to why in a little bit. Now, I can see why a Christian slave could despise their Christian owners, even though they shouldn't. But why would a Christian willful servant, you know, like one who has a job, like me or you, has to support our family, why would a Christian, let's say willful servant, like us that have jobs today, despise a Christian boss? I mean, you know, after all, they're a Christian, I'm a Christian. You know, why would we ever have any reason to despise someone that's our brother and that's like us, that's, but they're above us? Uh, it actually is a real easy thing that can happen depending on a couple things. What they ask their Christian you know, servant to do or how they treat them when they're doing it. You see, many times Christian servants, workers think that if their boss is a fellow Christian, that they should give them favor, you know, show them favoritism, right? And give them special privileges over non-Christian workers, right? I mean... It, I'm ashamed to say, but I've been there in the past. 
I've had some Christian bosses and I kind of expected some, you know, some better things than the other kind of workers got because, you know, after all, I mean, you know, we both love Jesus. And I'm not saying I ever got to the point of despising my Christian bosses, but I can say it was hard to, you know, let's say, give it away. You know, I, oh, wow, I, she didn't, he or she didn't treat me, you know, in that way I, I thought I should have been treated being a, you know, being a, a fellow Christian. Mm, that, that's really hard to, you know, hard to swallow. But you see, uh, if a Christian boss doesn't, give another Christian that special favor. The Christian servant, like I was in the past, worker could easily get offended and and come to despise their boss. I wouldn't I did never, but I could tell you it was definitely a trap that I could have fallen into. But I believe as God's shown me in his word and I believe that, you know, his conviction in my heart that it is a wrong thing as Paul talks about here. Christian workers or, or, or bond servants, willful bond servants, should not despise their bosses or think evil of them, uh, as Paul said here. You see, here's one of the reasons. You see, the Christian that is a willful servant, let's say worker like, like me, maybe you, needs to be aware that if their Christian boss shows them favoritism over non-Christian workers, I want you to think about this in your mind, the non-Christian workers are going to see it because it's going to be easy to see, right? I mean, he oh, Ed, Ed always gets the breaks, or oh, Ed, Ed always gets to this, or oh, Ed, you know, they're always calling Ed off for a good job. They never call me off for a good job, you know. And and other non-Christian workers are going to see it, and what are they going to do? They're going to start to despise you. They're going to despise the God that you represent. They're going to despise the Christian worker, and they're going to start to mumble, and they're going to start to want to, you know, do a bad job, and they might even quit or, or whatever, so on and so forth. So you you don't want as a Christian boss to favor your Christian worker because you know in an over exuberant way more than you would a Christian or a non-Christian worker because you don't want to make your whole you know work crew think evil of you or the other Christian or the God that you serve. So Paul counsels Christian workers here or willful Christian servants to not despise their Christian bosses for just any reason. So why? Paul says in the second half of verse 2, he says, don't despise them, but rather serve them. Because those who are benefited are believers and their beloved. Translation, Christian owners or bosses are the ones who are gaining. You're benefiting you know, them. And in, in a sense, if they're really a Christian you know, slave owner or they're really a Christian boss, then God's kingdom's going to benefit. Whenever a Christian benefits, God's kingdom benefits. I mean, that's just kind of how it works. And it's not a bad thing because Christ is being represented well and his kids are the ones getting the benefit. Plus, Christ did teach his disciples that greatness came in serving. Remember, Mark 9, 35, Jesus said, he sat down with his disciples, called the 12 and said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he should be last of all and servant of all. And Paul writes to all Christians in, in Philippians 2.3, he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So at the least... Why should a Christian servant not despise their Christian boss for just any reason and honor them and serve them? Because both Paul and Christ both say that those who are followers of Christ shouldn't 
or they should have servants' hearts. Really, as Christians, we should all have servants' heart, serving one another. And as Paul says, we should all be considering others better than ourselves. I mean, you know, today, whether you're a Christian slave or a willful bondservant, like someone today was a job to support his her his or her family, uh, what is the ultimate though? What is the ultimate reason? You know, the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate reason why you should not dishonor nor despise your boss or master, whether a Christian or not. You know, because that's kind of the title, right? Don't dis or he says, don't dishonor. Title is don't dishonor nor despise your boss or master. But then what? You see, Christian, once you surrender your life to Christ and become born again, you become a slave to Christ, who the Bible says becomes your ultimate master. And your heart attitude should be that Matthew 5.16. Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Your heart attitude as a Christian should be John the Baptist in Gospel of John 3.30 where he says, speaking of Jesus, He must increase, I must decrease. Your ultimate goal in life as a saved person, as someone that loves Jesus, should be to point people in this world to the one who saved and rescued you from your sins and has given you new life and eternal life. Your main reason why you're alive now is to represent the God of the Bible, is to represent Jesus Christ, the one who saved you, the one who redeemed you. As I said earlier, the moment you become a Christian, the Bible says you automatically become a representative of God on planet Earth. And as I said in our overview, He has work for you to do. And one of those works is to show others the way to Him. And some of the ways you're supposed to do this is by not dishonoring, nor despising your earthly master or boss. And in the process of doing that, you're representing the Lord Jesus Christ and the God you represent to them by your good work ethic, by your not despising them, by your not, you know, by your respecting them, by your honoring them. These are things that God says that He wants you to do to represent Him. Paul has these words to describe what your new heart attitude should be once you become saved. In Galatians 2.20, Paul writes this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Hey, not me anymore. I'm just here to point people to the one true God. I'm just here to point people to represent my Lord to love my fellow man and to represent Jesus Christ and to try to point them, hey, hey, you know why I do what I do? I don't do what I do for me. Hey, look at me, look at me. No, 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 not a real Christian. A real Christian says, oh, no, no, not, not, look at what I did, but not for me. Hey, I represent this guy up here. This guy saved me. This guy made me this way. And for me, in my case, very true. I was a very hateful, mean, resentful, you know, just a cuss. I was an evil cuss. 
And, you know, God changed me. As my whole family knows and thousands of people know, God changed me. And he saved me and he made me the loving, kind, considerate, you know, passionate for God person that I am today. So when people ask me or I get conversations, I'm always pointing out, hey, I'm not this way because I'm such a good this or good that. I'm this way because Jesus Christ saved me. And I love him now and I live for him now because you know what? I wouldn't be this way without him. That's my attitude, Galatians 2.20. Is it yours today? Is it yours? Is this your attitude today? If you profess to be saved or be a Christian, or do you have the attitude of me, 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 or hide my light, hide my light, hide my light, hide my light? Do you fight for your rights? Do you complain and despise your earthly bosses or masters and dishonor them because of it? If you're doing this, then you're either A, after, as, as we looked at today, you're in need of a serious attitude correction because your attitude should be one of honoring and not despising your earthly masters and bosses so that you can properly represent Jesus Christ and that God properly gets the honor that he's due because after all, he's God. And he deserves all the honor that everybody could give. So either A, you're in need of a serious attitude correction. You're in need of desperate repentance because this is how God wants you to live. Paul was very clear here. If you're a slave or whether you're a slave or whether you are got a job and you're supporting your family and you got bosses, hey, love them and obey them and respect them no matter what and let your light so shine for Christ so that all the world could see. You're either in need of repentance or B, If you despise and dishonor your earthly masters and bosses, you may not even be saved. I want you to please go to the scripture, you know, often examine yourself on this issue because we sure do have a lot of people going on around in our world today, especially in America, that say they're Christians and follow Jesus Christ but live for themselves and practice the sins and the evils of this world. I want to ask you today, what fruit is your tree bearing? Are you bearing good fruit for God, good fruit for Jesus Christ, or are you bearing me, 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 and, and you know, despising others and dishonoring others and hating others or so on and so forth, or pride? Is that you? Are you prideful or are you humble in God? If you're not, Matthew 10, 37 and 38, Jesus says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. So if you're loving your family or the things of this world more than Jesus Christ, he said you're not worthy of him. And he goes on to say, and if you do not love or if you love your son or daughter more than me, then you're not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So he who's not following me, doing the things that I said, picking up your cross, living for me, looking at the ways I said to do things and doing them that way. He says, you're not worthy of me. Because he says, he who finds his life will lose it. If you're living for you, it's all about you. Me, 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 me. Pride, pride, pride. Hate, despise. You know, dishonor, disrespect. I don't care what the boss tells me. I'm going to do what I want to do. You know, if that's you and you're loving the things of the world, and you're not looking at Christ to pick up your cross and do what he did and walk as he walked, then then here Jesus says that you're not even worthy of him. And if you're not worthy of him, that means you're not okay with him. At the end of 39 is where we see Jesus says how to be right with him. 
He who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who surrenders their earthly life now. Hey, I must decrease while he increases. This is the hard attitude of somebody that's okay with God. Somebody that lays their lives down every day. God, make me humble. God, I want to follow you today. Teach me how to follow you today. And then looks at the ways that Christ lives. And then desires God to allow, help them live the ways that Christ lived. And then that should be getting more and more and more and more and more. While you and your pride and your arrogance and your hatred and your despising should all be going down, 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 down. John Baptist. Uh, He must increase while I decrease. Where are you at with God today? Are you just in need of repentance if you're not letting your light shine today? Or are you not even saved? Are you not even changed? And is God not number one in your life in everything? And don't, do you love him or you don't you love him above everything else in your whole world? Please start reading your Bible today and asking God to reveal himself to you and his truths to you in his word and ask him where you're at with him today. Please, there's only one life that you get to live and it's very short. And pretty soon this life will pass. And once you get to heaven, you'll have to be accountable. And you will be accountable for everything that you did on this earth. And God will look at you and he'll either say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord because you've been faithful with the little. Now I will make you ruler over much. Or, be gone from me. I never knew you. Because you know what? You lived for you. And there was really no place for me in your life. Please. Examine the scripture today. Examine your life today to see where you're at with God. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for uh, just these words of truth, Lord. And I thank you so much for how just easy they are to understand. But Lord, and I, I thank you for how hard they are to live, Lord, because if they were easy to live, then we could live them without you. And if we lived them without you, Lord, then we wouldn't need you. But Lord, we need you. I need you. I pray for all those out there that are true Christians and born again and are letting their light shine. Lord, I pray that you would help us to continue, Lord, to honor our bosses and to respect our bosses, even though they may be rude or evil or mean or harshly speak to us, Lord. I pray that we would continue, Lord God, to let our light so shine so that they could see our love for Christ and be drawn to you, dear God. I I don't want to dishonor you, Lord. I pray that we would not dishonor you, Lord, that, that we would do the things, that we would honor our bosses and that we would respect our earthly masters. Because, Lord, we know in doing this, we represent you in a mighty way. And I pray for those out there that don't. Lord, those that are not, those that are not, and they're disrespectful to their bosses, and they're lazy workers, and, you know, that they despise their co-workers and their masters and their bosses, Lord. I pray for them, Lord, that they would seek your face to find out where they're at, Lord. I pray that, A, you'd either bring them to repentance, Lord God, and they would turn away from that and, and, and hey, it's not me. I, I want to live for Christ, and it's got to be Christ who shines and not me, and they would repent in this. Or, Lord, they'd even look to see if they're even born again. What fruit is their tree producing? Lord? And if their trees are not producing your will and your kindness and your works and your goodness, Lord, then I pray, dear God, that they'd fall on their faces right now and turn their lives over to you 
and surrender their lives to you, Lord God, and say, I don't want to live for me anymore, Jesus. I want to live for you. I'm surrendering my earthly life now to you, Lord Jesus, because I want to be saved. I want to know you, and I want to be saved, and I want to go to heaven, and, and Lord, I just want it to be all you from now on and not me. Please, Lord, help us all wherever we're at, and lead us and guide us to the truth and get us on the right path. And I ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015, and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.